Hey everyone, uh, welcome back and good morning. It's currently 6.20 a.m. here in Hawaii. And um, I have an update on the wind turbine and the biogas digester. So um, the wind turbine has been up now. Um, and pretty much ever since I put it up, it's been sp spinning and generating power. In fact, I'm looking out the window right now. And it's still spinning and putting out power. Um, the winds have um, slowed down um, this morning. Um, yesterday was a pretty decent day. It wasn't super windy, but it was it was not like calm or anything, you know. And um, this morning, the wind has calmed down a little bit. I'm not sure if it's going to pick up or slow down. Um, but today, we'll see. But it's still producing power, even at these low speeds right now. Um, I went out there to, to take a look at the charge controller for the um, wind turbine and we're running at about 150 about 150 watts to 200 to 300 watts um, which is still decent right um, but all last night it was also running at a higher speed because um, it was a lot windier so obviously we're having more production um, power production out of the uh, wind turbine um, between some sometime between when was it like within 24 hours um, on the charge controller registered uh, about 2,000 kilowatt hours um, was produced um, going into the batteries and now keep in mind that was majority um, probably like because I it went online late in the afternoon on one day um, but there was no wind I put it up in the late afternoon um, but there was no wind when I put it up that's kind of why I put it up when I had the chance uh, and then the next morning it started to um, Technically, it would be almost 24 hours right now, technically. So, um, yeah, pretty much we were able to produce 2,000 kilowatt hours, um, you know, within a 24-hour time period. And a lot of that was overnight. Um, so, that's good. We have a lot of extra power going into the batteries, uh, especially at night when the solar is not doing anything because obviously the sun is not up. So yeah, that's why I love wind turbines. Um, not only that, they're just kind of neat to watch, you know. Solar panels, you set them up and you forget it, and there's nothing to watch <laughs> besides the power on your inverter or your charge controller. Um, but wind turbines, you know, there's something spinning and moving, so <laughs> uh, it's something fun to watch at least. Um, so yeah, we're going to let it rip away, let it do its thing. Um, I did order the replacement hub and um, rotor for it. So whenever that comes in, we'll... Um, drop the wind turbine down and make the repairs and put it back up. Um, one more other thing. Um, yesterday, I was under my house um, digging through all my stuff for like all my wind turbine stuff. And come to find out, I actually have two more um, wind turbines. I have um, the last model right before I upgraded to this one, which is from the same company, windturbineusa.com. And when I took it down, it was in good operation. There was nothing wrong with it. I just upgrade it to a bigger unit. So I still have that unit downstairs. Um, so I can still, you know, install that one, uh, a secondary wind turbine um, with the existing one I have now. Uh, and then I do have one more wind turbine that I had previously that is still in operation and still in good shape. It's Both of these um, other wind turbines are actually just sitting under my house. So, um, yeah, I think I might end up um, installing the last wind turbine that I had from the same company um, and so I can run both so I'm going to do that I think 
Um, but not right away. I do have some other priorities I need to take care of, but I do have a project lined up for that. So that's going to be awesome to run, um, you know, the two wind turbines um, to the system. And then we can really start doubling up on, um, you know, power output from the wind turbines, especially especially at night and stuff. You know, during the day is great too, you know, don't get me wrong, but at night is where I really like it because it just keeps the batteries topped off and, you know, fully charged or you have a lot of extra um, power that you can, you know, send that power someplace, either put it into hot water or um, heating your home or cooking or whatever you're trying to do, you have this extra power that you have available to you. So, um, so that's the wind turbine. We're gonna let it rip until the new parts come in. Um, technically, I could take apart some of the um, other wind turbines and use those parts, like the, sh the rotor and stuff, but I don't wanna do that. I definitely don't wanna do that. I wanna leave those units complete um, that way, when it comes time for me to put them, you know, set up a secondary wind turbine, I already have all the components. I don't have to rebuild it, you know. It's still together. <laughs> Plus two, I knew it works perfectly fine because I took it down. So, um, yeah, thumbs up on the uh, wind turbine. Uh, I also released a video on how to turn your, um, you know, turn any hot water heater into a smart hot water heater. So I hope you guys were able to look at that YouTube video. It was released yesterday. Um, if you haven't had a chance, take a look at it. I think you might find some some interesting information there to help you out. Um, it's a very basic concept on that. Um, basically, you're we're utilizing a um, smart switch or a smart plug. In my case, um, a smart plug, and the smart plug is what you're going to be communicating with through your app, um, and the app is dependent on the brand of um, smart plug that you purchase, right? Um, and so they have their own interfaces where you can, you know, obviously toggle them on, toggle them off, set schedules, set timers, you know, do a whole lot of other things, set scenes. So it's a, you know, pretty unique aspect as far as just a smart plug. Um, and the smart plug is doing um, one other really important thing. When it's turned on, it's energizing that plug, which is 120 volts, which is in turn powering the 120 volt coil on the um relay and the relay is anywhere between i believe 110 to 240 volts um so there's a big operating range in there so you can run 120 volt um appliances or things um on that relay but you can also run 220 volt which is very important especially if you're trying to run a um high powered high demand high load device that's the whole point of it. Now, if you're just going to be running a 120 volt appliance, um, then you could just wire it directly to the plug um, because that's what it's made for. But you have to be cautious of the total amount of amperage that that um, smart plug can handle. So in my case, when I utilize the smart plug in the scenario that I am, that smart plug is literally consuming only three or four watts. In fact, the app tells me how much watts it's taking to energize that coil. And so, yeah, it's only using about three or four watts to trigger that coil on and off or leave it on. Uh, and then, you know, the load is going through the other part of the relay. And that could be, like I said, either 120 or 220 volts, depending on your load needs. So yeah, it's a really simple setup and it works flawless. Let me tell you, <laughs> really flawless. Um, yeah. I, it, it has literally changed 
my whole aspect of you know you know hot water in general because um, normally you have it on a regular timer uh, analog timer and you don't really adjust it unless you're going to go down there and start adjusting it all the time you know well with having it um you know connected the way i have it especially with a um app um you're really able to really fine tune things and run it at different times or multiple times or during um, less peak hours, maybe if you're connected to the grid, um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. And I have literally been able to reduce my electricity costs at that other property that I own um, just on the hot water heaters alone by $300 a month. So, I mean, that is a no brainer for me. <laughs> Absolutely no brainer. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like spending an extra $300 a month just because I have a dumb hot water heater. If, you know, if I'm able to turn it into a smart hot water heater and save that kind of money, it's a no-brainer. I mean, just in the first month of savings, you know, I would be able to purchase multiple relays and multiple, which I do have. I literally have a stockpile of them now. Um, just in case one fails or stops to work, I can swap them out easily. It's only a total of what, two, four, six wires, really easy. And you know, you can unscrew the terminals, pull the wires out and replace them. But I haven't had one fail, but I do have a small stockpile st stocked up. I think I have what, two, four, six, eight. I think I've got at least eight. Yeah, I think I got a, at least eight extra relays sitting on standby, um, not only for my off-grid home, but for my other home that I was showing in the video the, um, um, as the example. So, but yeah, they work great and I can't complain, you know, $300 you could a month I'm saving that I could be using for other things. You know, I could put it into buying more parts for wind turbines or biogas stuff or just put money in my pocket, you know, for f buying food, you know, whatever it may be. So uh, it's a win-win in my book. So definitely try it out if you guys haven't tried it yet, um, you know, or if maybe you, you pay electricity costs that's so cheap wherever you live that it doesn't make sense and that's okay too you know maybe you pay six cents per kilowatt hour and if you do <laughs> hey you're you're really lucky man because uh, over here it's 65 cents per kilowatt hour on the peak hours which the peak hours cover the main times obviously when you're using your hot water or your stove or any of those things you know and so you know they're trying to maximize the amount of money they can make as a power company uh, then, then you have off-peak hours when obviously most people are like sleeping and not consuming a whole lot of power. And then you have non-peak hours, which is in between the peak and <laughs> off-peak. And, and, that, and that's still a premium. So, uh, you know, if you can utilize something like this in order to um, be a lot smarter with your energy consumption um, and be a lot smarter with the where you're putting your money especially when you're paying bills, you know, that's what it means to me. So I hope that found some value for you guys and everything. Now I do have the videos for the biogas stuff, but there's a lot of footage for that because it's a multiple day project and a lot of information. So it's not as simple as a quick video like that. So I do need to put that together. Um, I may be starting to work on the biogas video maybe tonight um, or if not tomorrow. I'll start editing and start putting that together for everyone because I think that's going to be an interesting um, little series of videos. So definitely stay tuned for that. Now, as far as the biogas digester, um, <clears throat> yesterday, um, because I, I have 
more extra power from the wind turbine. Um, plus, I have the heating coil uh, that I installed or a grid underneath the biogas digester. Yesterday was actually the warmest. I mean, the warmest I was actually able to get the um, biogas digester. I got it up to 82 degrees um, and it's working great. So I'm really ecstatic about that because the first day that I started to fill it up with water, because our water line is on a Driscoll pipe, it's a Driscoll pipe, it actually sits above the ground. It's not buried. It, there's a lot of grass covering most of it um, and dirt and rocks and stuff covering a lot of it. Um, but when we first laid the water line and we just laid it above ground, it's a ranch. We have you know, water lines running all over the place to, you know, feed water troughs for cattle and sheep and all this and that. So we just run it above ground and, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but where we drive across like driveways and stuff, obviously we, we um, dug a trench and put the water line in to protect it. Cause obviously we're driving over these areas a lot of times. But other than that, it's just running on top of the, on top of the ground. And um, when I first filled up the biodigester, because that water line is so long, like literally almost a mile long, and um, I would say about about 50%, uh, 40 to 50% of it is it still exposed. Grass hasn't covered it yet. Or if it did at one point, we have, um, it's really dry out here, so the grass is really short and low. Um, so only 40 or 50% of that pipe is exposed to the sun, which in turn is heating it up. So when I was filling up the biodigester for the first time, I was at about 80 degrees. The water coming out was about 80 to 81 degrees, somewhere around there. So that was the first temperature the biogas temp um, temperature started off at. But that, keep in mind, that was just water for that first day. Um, but then obviously for the next two days, um, you know, the water was sitting in the biodigester now and we had really bad weather. It was super cold, super windy, kind of like how it is today. And um, the temperature started cooling down and it actually cooled all the way down to 64 degrees. But right around that time is when I started implementing um, the, I had the, the solar hot water heating grid finally online running and that started to heat it up. And then I had the um, hot water heating element um, into the biogas digester also starting to heat up. Um, so, you know, I'm starting to utilize the heating sources I have to heat it up. And yeah, yesterday between the three heating sources, the heating grid, the radiant floor heating, the heating element, and just natural sunlight hitting the um, biogas digester itself, um, it went up to 81 degrees. So that's the highest temperature it's been um, since I actually started this process up. But you also got to keep in mind too, when I was starting up this process, every time I put water in, um, you know, the first initial part of water is, the, is cold you know, cause that part is covered by dirt and, you know, grass and everything. So the pipeline is cold. And at that point I was only putting in five or 10, um, um, gallons at a time, especially when I was mixing the manure to go into the biogas digester, you know, I'm, you know, picking up three, five gallon buckets at a time. And then I'm, you know, putting it into a slurry of water. So that water is cold. So I'm putting 15 gallons of cold water, with cow manure in there. So it's also cooling the biogas bio digester down some because I'm putting cool water in it. Um, but like I said, it's, I've not put anything into the biodigester since I put the 80 gallons of cow manure in. Technically, I put 85 um, gallons of cow manure in, just to be exact. Um, but I haven't done anything since. And so now it's you know doing its thing and I'm just waiting for it to start producing the first round of gas 
because I need to check the gas to see if it's CO2 or if it's actual, um, you know, methane. Because normally on a biogas system, when you first start it up, the first gas that gets produced is CO2, which is non-burnable, which is the opposite, right? It's like a fire retardant. <laughs> um, so we got to let that gas off first, um, which is normally a pretty quick process. Um, so that's the process I'm in right now. I'm just waiting for it to produce its first round of gas. Um, there was one instance when I had an IBC tank when I was doing a startup on it where I didn't have any CO2 produced. In fact, the first round of gas was flammable and it was good. So you kind of get lucky sometimes. Um, but when I'm dealing with a lot of volume of water like this and the digester is so big, it's 1,136 gallons, just the digester alone. And then the storage bag is 660 gallons of um, gas storage, right? So it's a really big biogas digester. So it's got, I'm 100% I'm confident that it will end up producing CO2 at first. Um, and if so if it does, I check it daily, even though it's not the bag, the biogas bag is not inflating because I don't want to inflate the whole bag with mixture of CO2 and burnable um, methane. I want to check it. I open the valve every day and I, I grab my lighter and I light it to see if any gas is being produced. And if there is gas being produced, is it flammable yet? Because by me opening it up, you know, a little bit every day just to see if it's flammable, I'm, I'm allowing the CO2 to bleed out already, you know, instead of waiting for it to completely fill up and I'm like 50-50 in it, you know, 50% CO2, 50% methane, and then having to being forced to basically drain all that storage capacity and then starting from fresh because it'll be too mixed, right? So I'm able to limit that part of it. So yeah, I just go out there, you know, a little bit every day um, and just check to see if it's producing any um, flammable gas yet. Um, and if not, I just close, I just keep the valve closed and I just keep checking. So I'm in lingo right now, just waiting for it to start producing the first round of gas. This is the most tedious part about the whole biogas um, digester and biogas in general is really the waiting period of when you first started up because you're excited. You know, you did all this work, you, you, you know, you're ready to start using all this free gas. Um, but <clears throat> the first initial startup is the most, um, time consuming and tedious process because you're anxious for it to start working already, you know, and there's nothing you can do really besides trying to keep it as warm as possible. You keep it, as long as you put the correct amount of manure in, uh, mixed into your biodigester, and you keep it as warm as absolutely possible, then you have a way better chance of producing gas faster to get it started. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I put the correct amount of manure in, in a slurry, and I'm doing my best to heat up or try to maintain a, a decent, um, constant um, temperature. So that way it can start producing biogas sooner. So that's where I'm at right now. So I'm excited. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. I think today's what, day five now? Uh, yeah, I think it's day five um, from the last time I did the actual last bit of um, cow manure going into it. So, yeah. I'm actually look, looking out the window right now, looking at it. I'm just, it looks good. It looks, I really like the biodigester, but... You know, time will tell how well it's been designed and how well, because keep in mind, no one's sponsoring me any of this stuff. You know, I'm just, you know, spending my own money and thinking outside the box and wanting to do fun projects, but also live more efficient. 
you know, save money. Don't have to be, depend on, you know, so much things in order to have a good life, you know. So, yeah. It's going to take a while to fill that bag up, though. <laughs> so, that's a lot of volume. 660 gallons of storage capacity just on the top of the bow gas. That's a lot, guys. So, yeah, I just keep checking every day to see if it's, uh, you know, producing any gas yet. I also have a um, gas um, detector um, for like propane and stuff like that. It's a really um, sensitive machine. Um, I used to use it for some of my work from for back in the day. And it checks for any type of flammable gas. So if there's a trace amount of flammable gas, it'll actually start beeping and going off. It's really sensitive. It's a really expensive unit. Um, so I'll actually open up the valve and put that on there. Um, just to see if I get any trace amounts of flammable gas yet. And as of right now, there's nothing. Because obviously we're in the activation process. So. Sorry about that, guys. I had to get something to drink. So. Yeah. Oh, great news. On my ranch truck. The diesel mechanic came out. Um, he He definitely got started on doing a bunch of projects out here for us. Uh, my ranch truck is up and running. What it was, was inside the shift column where the ignition is, the ignition cylinder completely froze up and would not turn. It just locked up completely. So when you, when I, when you turn it on, the truck would just stay on the on position. You couldn't even turn the key back to turn it off. But that also meant that you couldn't shift it for because however it was locked up, it was locking up the shifter as well. So the shifter wouldn't shift. So the only way to shut off the truck was for me to like kind of force it into park and then open the hood, unplug the, you know, unwire the battery and then unplug the alternator so the, the truck could turn off. So that's how I was actually able to turn the truck off. Um, but now that the key cylinder has been all replaced and stuff, it starts up just fine. The key works perfectly. Um, the wrench truck is up and running. So we're good on that. Uh, he also started on removing the clutch from our other truck, our other wrench truck. And I believe he said he was either going to come back out today or he's going to come back out on Sunday um, to finish that job, replacing the clutch. The clutch, the transmission has been removed already. Um, so all he has to do is put the new clutch in, um, install the, the transmission again, and that ranch truck will be up in operation again too. Um, but with that said, this weekend, if the weather is permitting and not too crazy windy or if it's not raining because we... We have a we do have a forecast of rain, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, but if the weather is permitting this weekend, at least I have my ranch truck again. I can rehook up to the Tobo air compressor. Go in the back. We have the guys coming out that we're going to give the jackhammer to, so they can jackhammer those boulders up for us. Uh, and then I can also work on driving the bulldozer. Um, I do have to weld a couple things on the bulldozer um, before I drive it back to the back of the property. Um, but it's actually technically all fixed and ready to go. So I just have to do a couple welds on a couple little things and then, um, start driving it to the back. So yeah, ranch truck is up and running. Things are starting to come together again. And I'm excited just to get this whole fence line saga over with. Believe me, I want it done because I want to start doing my other projects. I have other things I want to do. Um, there's so much little things I want to do. So I definitely want to take care of, you know, um, the ranch, obviously, first. 
Um, so we just need to get it done. And obviously I am doing other projects in between that. Obviously we had things break down and broken um, that we're finally getting assessed. Like this has been the saga with this whole thing. You know, the bulldozer keeps breaking, you know, uh, backhoe breaks, trucks are breaking. <laughs> you know, the ranch is not easy on equipment or trucks or anything. It's pretty rough out there. And so, you know, we're not trying to abuse our equipment, obviously, because it's obviously causing us downtime and extra money to repair them and, you know, all of that. We're cautious with our stuff, you know, because we don't want it to break. But the environment that we're, we're in is harsh. And so it's harsh on the equipment. So we'll see. Hopefully this weekend we can get back out there and start fencing um, and get that done and over with. Because uh, I do have some really exciting projects that I don't want to disclose just yet. Um, yeah, there's some, some exciting projects I want to, um, you know, start and get into for sure. So, but anyway, guys, just a really quick update on how things are going. The wind turbine's doing okay, even though it's got the bent shaft on it. Uh, I'm just going to let it rip, let it do its thing. Um, I'm currently still waiting for the biogas digester to start creating its first round of gas, regardless if it's CO2 or, um, methane. Um, the ranch equipment's getting fixed and repaired so we can get back out on the um, fence line and get that all going again um so yeah we're tackling all these things guys um lots of things going on and so we're just trying to multitask trying to do what we can when we can you know so uh anyway guys thanks for tuning in and i'll see you guys on the next one